Well, uh, just been watching the Mission Impossible movies, and they have this thing, if you're seeing this recording, something tragic has happened. Well, if you're uh, seeing this recording this morning, that means I tested positive for COVID. Um, and just so you know, Darius came in early this morning, and uh, and like after I spoke tomorrow morning, and used this special sanitization spray, so you're all safe. Uh, but I'm going to be speaking to you almost like if we had satellite campuses. Now, when our family was on vacation at Myrtle Beach, uh, we were in a sanctuary, and just a few minutes into the sermon, Joshua looks at me and goes, where's the preacher? <laughs> and I was like, oh, buddy, he's not here. It was a satellite campus, and they were streaming the sermon from a different service. So today... Uh, that's what we're doing. If, if I tested positive for COVID this morning, uh, I'm not here. Uh, instead I was here last night preaching this sermon to just Ben. So if anybody laughs, it's, uh, Ben laughing. Well, today we're going to be talking about looking up and I don't know if you're like me and sometimes, you know, you spend too much time looking down at your phone. I know for me, my problem is when I'm at Meijer, uh, my shopping list is on my phone. So often I spend a lot of time doing this while I'm shopping, trying to make sure I got the right items. But sometimes if you look down and you're too focused, things like this can happen. Now, what was their problem? Well, the problem was that they they weren't looking up. They were just looking down. They were focused on what was right in front of them. And oftentimes, we focus just what's on right in front of us. Now, this message isn't going to be about cell phones and our addiction to technology. We probably should have a sermon on that at some point. But the sermon today is on the idea of being focused on one thing and then completely missing out on something else. We've been studying Colossians for the last six weeks, and in the first two chapters, Paul was giving a theological framework necessary to follow Christ before he shifts in chapter 3 to this practical living. So he makes this transition many times in his books. In Romans uh, you see in chapters 1 to 11 that he first <clears throat> outlines a theological treatise, one of the best in all the scriptures. And then after that, in Romans 12 through 16, he outlines, now how do you live in light of that? Ephesians 2, he does the same thing in chapters 1 to 3, building a theological framework. And then chapters 4 to 6, now how do you live practically? And Paul is going to do the same thing here in Colossians. He's going to argue if, if Jesus is greater than anything else, if he's greater than anything the Gnostics or others could offer, if he's sovereign over all things, then we should surrender our lives to him. And last week we looked at how Jesus plus legalism, that doesn't equal life. 
And it doesn't equal life that add mysticism or asceticism, that true life, or as the Gnostics talked about, the fullness, this full life, only comes through Jesus Christ. It can't be found in, in legalism, mysticism, or asceticism. This abundant life comes only through a relationship with Jesus. And so throughout these theological arguments in the first few chapters, he's going to now transition to practical living. So let's read from Colossians 3. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says, don't get stuck looking down. Now, this is a very abstract thought. What does it look like to look up, to set your minds and your hearts on things above? How do we even do that? Well, let's pray and we'll look at that today. Dearly Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your sovereignty and your grace. Lord, thank you for technology that allows uh, me to preach this on Saturday night and the congregation to watch on Sunday morning if I'm unable to be here tomorrow. And just thank you that we can gather and study your word together. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul begins this passage by saying, Since then you have been raised with Christ. He begins with since then, which is kind of like a therefore. It's it's looking back at what he's just said. He summarized all this theology. Since you've died to your old self, since you've been raised with Christ to your new life, since, as we said, you have a gospel-grounded gratitude, since all those things are true, then what do you need to do in response to that? In, In Romans, when he makes this transition he says therefore an urge of god's mercies and then he goes on to say how do you live differently so he says to set your heart on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god this phrase set your hearts is a verb and it's a present imperative that's just a big way to say it's a command that's in the present tense in other words you don't just set your hearts on things above one time. It's something you need to do every single day. It's a daily repetitious thing. And he says we're to set two things on things above. First, our hearts and our minds. And first, let's look at hearts. Now, this word is translated heart because it refers to our desires, the things we value, the things we love, the things we want, the things we desire. And the heart has a a moral component to it. So we're to set our hearts, our desire, our longings on things above. What does that even mean, things above? Well, all throughout the scriptures, there's this idea of above and below. In in John 3, Nicodemus uh, approached Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody else to see him going to talk to Jesus. And he started asking him all these questions. And at one point in verse 12, Jesus said, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? 
He said, look, I'm telling you about all these earthly things, but if I speak of heavenly things, you're not going to understand it because no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That was the name for himself. Jesus said, look, I'm going to speak to you about earthly things, and because you can't comprehend those, I'm not even going to talk about the heavenly things. In Galatians 4, there's this idea of an above Jerusalem, which is free, and this below Jerusalem. This idea that our citizenship is in heaven, but yet now we live here on earth. So where is this above? Well, Paul says it's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's where Christ dwells. That's where he is. In Psalm 110, this This uh, psalm talks about the elevation of the Messiah to the right hand of God. And that psalm is actually quoted in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It looks like this is actually what Paul is quoting here. But what is the right hand of God? Well, first, the right hand was a place of power. In Mark 14, uh, it says, again, the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? This is when he was, and when he was uh, being tried, and he said, "I am." This people would have been outraged. This is the name of God, the Old Testament name. When Moses said, "Who do I say you are?" to the Israelites, he said, "I am." This is the name of the Lord, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One of God the Father and coming on the clouds of heaven. It was a position a place of power. But the right hand was also a place of privilege. In Philippians 2, it says, God exalted Him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the right hand was a place of power, a place of privilege, and lastly, a, position, a place of ruling. We've been in this series called Greater Than, and we've been looking at how, how Jesus is greater than any of these other false religions. How he is preeminent, supreme over all things, the creator of the universe, the one who stains, sustains all things with his mighty right hand. And if he truly is the creator of all things, and the ruler of all things, and the sustainer of all things, then we as Christians who are citizens in heaven, should live as citizens of heaven in this earth. So how do we do that? How do we set our minds or set our hearts on things above? Well, one way is to align our heart with the things of the Lord. Align our values, our morals, our priorities. One simple way to do that is to Read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I encourage uh, you to consider doing that this week or this month. And to just read from start to finish. Take, take the Gospel of, of John. Just start in John 1. Read through and ask these two questions. What does Jesus care about? And then do I care about that too? Look at Jesus' interactions with others. Look at how he talks to them. Look at how he treats them. Look at how he responds to sin. Look at how he responds to pride. Do I have that same care about the things that Jesus cares about? 
See, it's about our hearts. The world will always pursue your heart. There's all these things that are going to be gunning for your heart. Social media has algorithms that are just designed to figure out what are you passionate about? What do you, what do you care about? If I advertise to you, what will you get? Social media now knows, you know, if, if there's a bobblehead night, I got to advertise that to, to Pastor Phil. He's going to find it. And, and you can see it in the commercials about a car. You know, if you want a commercial about, um, you know, an SUV, where do they show? They show them driving through the mountains. Are you adventurous? You should get this SUV or a, a, a sports car driving fast through the city. Do you like to do things fast? Do you like to look cool? Get this car. Or vacation, what do they show? They don't show people on cruises vomiting on the side because they're seasick. No, they, they show them having a blast. Look at the kids going down the slide and having fun. You could have fun too. They're tugging at our heart. You know, at the Super Bowl, you know, they had this, this advertisement for a phone and it could get rid of things from the background. You know, can your phone do this? You need this new phone that has these new features. And even food commercials, they try to, to get at your taste buds. You know, I know when I stopped drinking pop for a while there, Every time there was a commercial for Coca-Cola and those, you know, the carbonation rises to the top, man, it just made my mouth water. See, all these things, the world is pursuing our heart. They're saying, this is what you need. This is what you want. This is what will bring fulfillment. But God wants our hearts. He wants us to align our desires, our morals, our priorities with His heart. He wants us to ask, what does Jesus love? And do you love that too? Or maybe we need to ask, what does Jesus hate? Do we also hate that? Jesus hates sin. Do we hate our sin? Or do we just tolerate it? Or do we excuse it? Say, well, it's not that big of a deal. See, do we love the things Jesus loves And hate the things Jesus hates. So we're to set our hearts on things above. But we're also called to set our minds on things above. Not on earthly things. Really, this could be translated, have this kind of mindset. In fact, in Philippians 2, it says just that about Jesus. That he had this mindset. He came as a servant. He came to serve. He, he, he laid down his privileges. We're to have that kind of mindset. So set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. That affects what we think about stuff. Houses, cars, our tech, things like that. Could also do with the things we value, like social status. We all want to fit in. Or maybe you're a teenager, you want to be popular, you want to be in the in crowd. Or maybe your school status, you want to have the status of being the best GPA valedictorian or professional status. You know, I know when I started selling for Cutco, when you started, you were just a sales representative. That sounds kind of boring. But then once you get to $15,000 in sales, you were a sales trainer. Ooh, sounds a little better. And 25000 in sales, you were a field sales manager. Ooh, sounds even more prestigious. And 50000 in sales, you were a senior field sales manager. See, it's this idea that you could progress. Now, is it wrong to pursue advancement in a company? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to pursue a high GPA? 
No, in fact, I'm sure your parents would be happy with you if you did that. The issue is the priority. Is your priority God or your stuff? His pleasure or your pleasure? Matthew 6 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the things that you treasure most will be the things that you give your greatest effort, your highest priority. See, Paul argued in Colossians that his greatest effort is to do the will of the Lord. At the end of chapter 1, he says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so profoundly works in me. He says, with, to this goal, this goal of proclaiming Christ, this goal of sharing Christ, I give it everything I have. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. He says, I make it my goal. I, I do whatever I need to do to bring glory to God. So the question is, are you giving God your best? Is He your greatest pursuit? Is He where your heart is set? Last week I talked about the difference between sacred and secular. I talked about how sometimes when we see our lives as two different things, here's what I give God and here's what I give myself. This is God's is sacred. This is work. It's secular. That it, There's something wrong with that. And I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He said, Let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called, and his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. And this is really the heart of the issue. Why do you do what you do? Whatever job you have, whether you see it as significant or insignificant, is your vocation, is your work, are you pursuing the glory of Christ? Are you honoring God through your work ethic? Are you honoring Him through your attitude Towards your boss. If you are the boss, are you honoring him and your attitude toward those that you lead? Are you simply pursuing more money, a higher status, or an easier life? Or is your pursuit to bring God glory every day where you work? If you're in school right now, are you pursuing the glory of Christ through your school? Are you honoring Christ through your, diligent and your assi- diligence and your assignments? If you're in high school, you have the most unique opportunity that you will ever have for the rest of your life. You are surrounded every day with people that need Jesus. And you walk shoulder to shoulder with them every day, sit next to them in class. You will probably never have another Avenue where you have as many relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Are you saying, Lord, use me in this circumstance? Are you seeking to honor Christ in your relationships, in the way that you love others, in the way that you welcome the outcast, in the way that you respond to the person that's mean to you? 
See, I think oftentimes there can be two polar opposites. Either our life can be completely about school and we want to have the best grades and all these things, and, and our whole focus is just on school or maybe on sports. It could not be on school at all, being the best athlete or whatever it is. And we, neglect, and we either pursue that and we neglect Christ, or we could go the other way. We don't do any of our homework and we neglect the position that God has put us in as students. We don't bring honor and glory to Christ because of our negligence. See, it's all about the why. In your home, are you honoring Christ in your marriage or your singleness? In your parenting? In your relationships with extended family? In your relationships with your neighbors? In your relationships wherever you live, work, and play? Are you harboring bitterness and envy? Are you demonstrating the love of Christ? I love this quote from R. Kent Hughes. What we set our minds on determines our seeking and thus the direction of our Christian lives. What we set our minds on determines our seeking. He's, he's getting at this idea that we need to set our mind on things above. It's this purposeful act of the will to set our minds on the things that Christ desires. In Philippians 4, Paul put it this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying, think about the things that will be focused, set your minds on things above. This is what Paul's saying here. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen an enemy, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What he's saying here is we need to put these things into practice. We need to think about these things. We need to practice the spiritual disciplines. We all know what it looks like to grow closer to the Lord. We've all had times in our lives where maybe we've pursued him differently and we've experienced it. Spending time in prayer, reading God's word, living in community, even the simple act of attending church every single week is a discipline that brings benefit to you and your family. All right, back to Colossians. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Why are we to set our minds on things above? Because you died, you have new life, or to put it the way he put it, your life is hidden in Christ, and you will be glorified. Last week we looked at how we, we put to death the old self. And we even looked at the picture of baptism, of this idea of putting, being buried in death and raised to new life. Romans 6 puts it this way, For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know, listen, that our old self was crucified with Him. Our old self died. It was crucified with Christ. So the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We've been, we've died to our sin and we've been set free. Paul continues in verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, so if this is true, which it is, we believe that we also live with him. 
And he says in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we died. We have this new life and our life is hidden with Christ in God. What, what does that mean? What does it mean that our life is hidden with Christ in God? Uh, again, the Greek tense here is imperfect. It means this ongoing thing. Our life has been hidden with Christ in God, and it will endure in that state. We have this double security. We are secure in Christ, and Christ is in God. So we have this share in the above in which we are to focus. In Christ, we have the source of life, and we have, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Nothing can separate us from Christ. In Romans 8, Paul puts it this way, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're hidden in Christ. We're secure. Not only are we secure we're eternally connected to the source. We have the fullness that the Gnostics were longing for. Jesus sustains us and provides for us. Through the Spirit, we have everything we need to live a life of godliness and joy. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. <coughs> when Christ who is your life. That's not mysticism or asceticism or legalism that leads to life. Christ is our life. And when He appears, we will appear with Him in glory. Right now, our lives are hidden in Christ. But when He appears, we will be transformed. In Philippians 3, Paul puts it this way, But our citizenship is in heaven, And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. What a beautiful thing that will be. There are times where our bodies break down. And and many of you in our congregation have experienced the hardships of different things failing in your body, having to get different hips replaced and, and knees replaced and you've experienced all these different things i know when when i tore my shoulder up and had to have two surgeries i i'm like man i look forward to that glorious body but the beautiful truth is that we've been justified we are being sanctified and one day we'll be glorified that we'll have these new glorious bodies so all this is such good news But the question becomes, all the things from chapter 1 and 2, and even these things here, what do you do with these truths? What does it even look like to have a heavenly mindset? Does that mean we're just thinking about heaven all the time? Do we go around thinking about, you know, the streets of gold and the pearly gates? Are we just constantly thinking about those things? No, I I think what it means is that we need to have this heavenly mindset. Now, through the rest of chapter 3, he's going to look at what that looks like. Next week, we're going to look at verses 5 to 7, where it talks about honoring Christ with our sexuality. And the week after that, we'll look through 2 through 4 here. What does it look like to put away the old self? What does it look like to put on the new self? 
What does, what does it look like to live together with this gospel-grounded gratitude? And then the week after that, we'll look at how do you honor the Lord in your relationships, in your marital relationships, in your parenting, and in all these different spheres of life. How do you honor the Lord? See, this is a really abstract thought. How do I set my mind on things above? And as I was praying and processing through how to explain this, because it's just such a hard thing to wrap our minds around, how to have this, this heavenly mindset, uh, I came across the Lord's Prayer. And it's one of my favorite prayers, because Jesus said, hey, this is how you should pray. And I thought, what if we were to ask the Lord to help us to set our minds on things above simply by praying through the Lord's Prayer? Let, let's do that for a second. We begin with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To have a heavenly mindset, the first step is to realize and recognize that God is other. That He's holy, 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 set apart. That He's the sovereign ruler of all things. That He created us. And then our our right position is one of recognizing He is worthy of all of our praise and our honor and glory. And that if He is who He says He is, which He is, then we need to surrender our lives to Him. And so we begin by saying, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name. The first step in having a heavenly mindset is to set our minds on the Lord. The second step, I love this. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second step is to recognize that we want to be ambassadors of God's kingdom. We want His will to happen on earth as it is in heaven. In our lives, we need to ask the Lord, could, could you help me, Lord, have a mindset where, where everything I do is about establishing your kingdom? I want your will to be done in my life, in where I work, in my home, in my relationships, in my family. I want to live for you. So that other people, when they see me, they get a glimpse, they get a taste of God's kingdom. And he says, give us today our daily bread. The temptation of our lives is to continually look down at all the stuff in front of us. We live in one of the most affluent societies in all of the world. And because of that, we have lots of money and lots of stuff. And then temptation is to get so caught up in all that stuff that we take our focus away from what it's supposed to be and instead put it on the things right in front of us. By simply praying, God help me, just to live off of what I need. And in the abundance, Lord, help me to use it for your kingdom purposes. Would you help me to remember to, to give today my daily bread? And then forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. One way to keep a heavenly mindset is to stop and say, Lord, <laughs> Search my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Pray, God, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Coming before our Savior 
and loving the same thing Jesus loves and hating the same things Jesus hates. Hating our sin, repenting of it, asking for God to change us, asking for God to forgive our sins, and then also seeing, is there anywhere in my life that I'm holding on to bitterness and envy and I'm not forgiving someone else? There are places in my life that I haven't forgiven. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I've been having the mindset says, God, help me today. I know as I walk out the doors of my house, I'm going to run into temptation. Temptation to be prideful. Temptation to lust. Temptation to covet. Temptation to, to get angry. Temptation to, to respond in a way that is not honoring to you. Or would you deliver me from the evil one? Would you help me today? To stand up, to, to, to not give in to those temptations. So how do we how do we even do this? I mean, one way is to simply just go ahead and go back. One way is to simply just take this, and I challenge you to do this this week, every day, pray through that, think through that. But in our culture, you know, now with with yoga and Buddhism and, and Hinduism, there's this idea of meditation. And in the cultural definition of meditation, it's all about emptying your mind. There's all these different steps you can do to empty your mind. But the biblical idea of meditation is the opposite. It's about filling your mind. Joshua 1, God writes this. God says this to Joshua. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. He says, you want to be successful? Set your mind on things above. How do you do that? Meditate on God's Word day and night. Fill your mind with my Word. In Psalm 1, which we looked at this summer, we've gone back to it a few times. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. Instead of emptying your mind of things that could distract, and instead involves this filling of your mind, meditating on God's Word day and night. What is the result of that? That person... Is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and his leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. See, the best way to set your heart and your mind on things above is to consistently, daily fill your heart with God's Word. Because it contains what we need to have a heavenly perspective. So today I want to challenge you two really practical applications. I want to challenge you to pick one and to do it. First, this week, take out one of the Gospels. If you want the shortest one, Mark is the shortest one. But take out one of them and just start at the beginning and read. And as you read, ask the question, what does Jesus care about? And every time you, you find something that shows what Jesus cares about it, Ask yourself the question, do I care about that too? Because in Philippians, Paul uses a similar word as set your minds. It's the exact same Greek. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so if we think, what does Jesus care about? I need to care about those things. It's trying to set our mindset 
on things above. And second, this week, every day, pray the Lord's Prayer. But as you pray the Lord's Prayer, ask God to help you set your mind on things above. As you walk through that prayer, say, God, I don't want to be so focused on what's in front of me that I stop looking up. I don't want to be like the person walking on their cell phone that's tripping over stuff because they don't see it. I want to be looking up, putting my mind, setting my mind on things above, setting my heart on things above, not on earthly things, because I want to honor you. I want to follow you. Lord, I want to be an ambassador that brings your kingdom to this earth in all of my interactions each and every day. So my prayer for you is that you do one of these two simple steps, but that also that you just think through, what does it look like for me to set my mind and my heart on things above rather than on earthly things? Let's pray. God, you are good and your love endures forever. And Lord, we can't do this without your power. We're going to be constantly tempted to look down constantly tempted to focus on the struggles and the hardships and tempted in our selfishness to respond in anger to our spouse or our kids or our co-workers or the person that cuts us off on the way to work lord constantly tempted to to pursue all the things that this world offers but lord help us to, to set our minds on things above set our hearts on things above Because you're worth it. Our life is from you. The only way to have a full life, to have an abundant life, is through a relationship with you. So help us to live in that fullness. In your name we pray. Amen.